0: I'm Xanthi Whitaker. I'm a postdoctoral researcher in the Centre for Employment Relations, Innovation and Change at Leeds University Business School.
1: Hi, I'm Kate Hardy and I'm also from SERIC at Leeds University Business School and I'm an Associate Professor in Work and Employment Relations.
0: And today on Leeds University Business School's Research and Innovation podcast, we're going to be talking about childcare during COVID-19, which is the rapid response research project looking at the impact of the pandemic on early years settings. And I guess that's, that's quite topical this week, given that we've gone into our third national lockdown whereby schools have closed and early years settings haven't. So um, maybe it would be useful to begin the podcast by talking a bit about what early years is.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Anthony. Um, so early years, as we've defined it in the um, project, is a very it includes a lot of people. So when we talk about early years, most people think about nurseries, and we are talking about nurseries, and that includes nurseries based in schools, um, nurseries that are maintained by the state, and then private sector nurseries. But on top of that, there are a host of other people who are involved in early years um, childcare and education, and that includes nannies, childminders but also quite importantly, parents and grandparents. And so this is who we've included, haven't we, in the um, study, because we want to look at the kind of ecology of care that goes on um, to, to take care and educate children between, uh, before they go to school. So yeah, as you said, um, it's been quite a big week in relation to early years, because early years haven't been included as part of the school closures as they were the first time round um, in the first national lockdown. So, um, why, Zanthi, do you want to say a bit about why it's the case that um, early years have been excluded from um, these school closures which have affected primary and secondary schools?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that on Monday, the Prime Minister addressed the nation about the national lockdown and told very specifically about the fact that there was increasing scientific evidence of the fact that schools and children were, were vectors of transmission. So we've gone from a situation where there's been a sort of widespread assumption, I think, that, that children don't don't get sick with the illness and don't particularly pass it on to a recognition that actually what the evidence is saying is, is that, yes, children are vectors of transmission. And, and as a result of that schools have, have been closed. Um, and I guess the situation and the risk of, of, of children passing on on the the coronavirus is actually exactly the same in, in early years. And so it's quite unclear why early years is, is remaining open. And actually if you think about what goes on in early years care where where people, workers are looking after small children, it's quite hard to contain them. They're quite often not wearing PPE, don't have adequate or accessible PPE, This situation is is even a lot worse than it might be in a primary school, for example. Yeah, completely.
1: A lot of the um, staff that we've been interviewing have referenced, haven't they, how, you know, they spend all day in very close, intimate contact with small children. And one thing they talk about a lot is how children will just kind of sneeze in their face and and they're not able to wear uh, masks. Um, Or visors or any PPE really in that context other than for example with changing nappies and that's something they've um, spoken about quite a lot and it's quite hard to think isn't it of another sector in which staff are being expected to go to work with no PPE whatsoever not just that it's hard to access but that it's basically impossible to use in that context. So in terms of the way that people have been (laughs) reacting to it this week um, Have you picked up on how, uh, have you been speaking to people about, um, in early years, about how they feel about these um, exclusions from these closures?
0: I mean, I think what we've, in in the research that we've done, we've heard early years uh, practitioners, people working in in the early years settings, talking about themselves as lambs to the slaughter, uh, talking about the fact that they feel thrown under the bus by the lack of recognition of the risk that they're under talking about themselves as collateral damage. Yeah, are all really
1: powerful statements, aren't they? And they're ones that people have kind of said to me as well. And I think one thing that's really struck me is how this is in some ways an intensification of what workers were saying to us in the interviews in terms of being at best sidelined in the pandemic response, Um, At worst, um, completely devalued and given kind of no recognition. Um, And that's partly because whenever there have been announcements um, and policies about education, early years is very often an afterthought. And that's what a lot of early years staff across, uh, whether they're childminders, whether they're nursery managers, whether they're room leaders, um, childcare practitioners, have just frequently said, you know, we've been an afterthought um, no one recognizes the fact that you know throughout the entire first lockdown actually nurseries and childminding settings generally weren't closed they were open but they were open for vulnerable children and um and key worker children and in lots of ways this is really tied up with a kind of endemic feature of the earlier sector isn't it in terms of the fact that they have really low pay and that um Low pay, the pay in the sector in general is just over £7 an hour, which is less than minimum wage and a lot less than the real living wage, which is partly explained, isn't it, by the presence of um, apprentices um, in the sector. There's quite a few apprentices which does bring down that average, but in general, it is pretty marked by very low pay and lots of women doing this low paid work.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that, that a key part of this kind of work is the very gendered nature of it. And and you mentioned that, that the average pay is, is £7 an hour, which is below the national minimum wage. And I think that's... that's uh, Wages have sort of decreased over time. This is a long-term issue within the sector. In fact, there was research done a couple of years ago that talked about the fact that an increasing number um, of, of people in working in early years settings were reliant on government benefits because their wages were so low. And I think that's been combined with the fact during uh, lockdown that actually the, the responsibilities that, that early years workers have taken on have increased and, and actually they're doing really essential work. Maybe Kate, you want to talk a little bit about some of the um, things that we found picked up during our research about the way that early years' responsibilities have extended during this time?
1: Yeah, sure. So, one of the things that I think has struck um, all of the researchers on the team is that um, during the lockdown, actually, nursery staff were the only um, contact that a lot of families had with any sort of agency or any sort of services. So a lot of other services shut down, Um, social services who might usually have been um, in contact with people weren't around as much or weren't doing home visits. And so I think it's really struck us that alongside this, these very low rates of pay, many, um, particularly nursery staff, have been talking about the kind of rapidly um, increasing responsibilities they've got around things like safeguarding, for example. So many of them talked about how they haven't been fully trained in safeguarding, they're having to try and pick up on um, what's happening um, in families. Now, rather than being inside the room or being able to go into the building, they're having to stand outside, do it in front of other parents. It's harder to pick up on those prompts. And yet they're they're increasingly responsible for, um, for, for doing those sorts of safeguarding. And the other thing they've talked about quite a lot, haven't they, is about how um, actually because um, they're in contact with very young children and they're the only um, kind of connection to services, they're having to do a lot of diagnosis and identification of additional learning needs um, and special educational needs. And then the thing they've really talked about a lot is the way that they've then got to communicate these to parents for the first time who have to try and deal with them in a context where there isn't um, a lot of support.
0: Just to sort of clarify around safe when we're talking about safeguarding, so that's things like um, recognising or identifying where children might have been exposed, for example, to domestic violence. And of course we know that situations of domestic violence have also intensified over the, the period where people have been spending extended times in their homes and not connected to their communities.
1: Yeah, another element of it that's really important um, is kind of neglect, which, um, so there's, so while nurseries were open to vulnerable children and key worker children during the lockdown, they've also basically been fully open since the 1st of June, Um, and during that time as well, they've also had to kind of um, respond to um, growing needs around um, neglect from children who've been who were inside houses for months and months at a time and having to respond to that when they kind of came into the early years setting
0: so guess it's pretty clear that early years workers have been doing all this really essential work during the pandemic and, and and um basically not really being having that acknowledged or recognized in the way that they've been treated by government through policy through funding of the sector. Um, it's also traditionally a sector that doesn't have, uh, where workers don't particularly have a strong voice. Um, but maybe that's something that's starting to shift.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the better news stories out of this is that obviously earlier in the week, the um, NEU, the Teachers and Education Workers Union for Schools, were able to. Um, argue that schools should be closed in the interests of staff and pupils and the wider community. And I think this has really set a precedent and given an example to staff in early years settings who, as you say, are traditionally less unionised. There is a slightly more unionisation um, in state-maintained early year settings um, with unison, but very much less so in private nurseries. And then obviously childminders are often own account workers, they're self-employed. Um, it's a slightly different situation. So yeah, lots of lots of uh, workers have pointed to organisations such as Early Years Alliance and PACE, who are um, who represent nursery workers and managers, and also um, childminders um, and nannies, as having given them a lot of information and been kind of trying to um, represent them. But I think just this week, as a result of um, early years not being included in those closures and seeing the example that the NEU um, have set in the um, in the sector, that has meant I think that there are um, they they are beginning to develop a voice through which they can speak about their working conditions and and how they feel about the fact that uh, they're being asked to go into work in these conditions. So, do, you, Santhi, do you have a sense of the kind of demands that these um, voices and these organisations are putting forward to improve uh, this sector?
0: Yeah, well, certainly, um, the, apart from the unison coming out and, and arguing that centres should be closed, there are, well, there's the argument that they should be funded and supported by government in order to close so that they're not thrown into financial difficulty as a result of that. Um, and certainly much of the sector now is arguing for priority to access to vaccines much as with with care workers um, and some are arguing for closure for 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 everyone other than key workers and vulnerable children um, and and there's 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 a big call for um, relief funding for the government to sort of see early years settings out through these these closures and through this period
1: yeah and i think that's a really important point to end on because one thing that's really impacted on the sector over the last decade is is chronic underfunding. And it does leave a lot of the sector very vulnerable that if the doors are closed, that that's a lot of people's jobs and that's some settings that would close. So, yeah, I think you're right that there's both a need for temporary relief funding, like it's been announced for the hospitality centre uh, um, sector, but also a much longer term look at a sustainable funding model for the sector
0: for such important workers carrying out such important work
1: yeah completely great thanks for listening to today's episode um, if you want to uh, find out more information about this research um all of our contact details if you want to get in touch or you want to participate in the research all the information is available in the episode description